welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is sponsored by Hiya Chewable Kids Vitamins. It's a new company I found that my kids are extremely excited about. Did you know that most typical children's vitamins are essentially just candy in disguise? Many have as much as two teaspoons of sugar, along with some food dyes, some other unhealthy chemicals, or gummy junk that kids should probably never eat and that dentists would probably agree with. Haya is the complete opposite. It fills the most common gaps in children's diets with full body nourishment and a yummy taste they love without any of that junk. While most children's vitamins might contain as much as five grams of sugar and can cause a variety of health issues, Haya has created a zero sugar, zero gummy, junk-free vitamin that tastes great and, as my kids will attest, is delicious. It's perfect even for picky eaters. Also importantly, it's manufactured in the U.S. with globally sourced ingredients, each selected and screened for optimal bioavailability and absorption. What's cool is they send this to your door on the pediatrician recommended schedule and the first month you get a reusable glass bottle that you can personalize with stickers so every month thereafter they send a no plastic refill pouch which means it isn't just good for your kids it's also good for the environment and it reduces waste my kids love the little glass jar that the vitamins are in and i love how it's low waste you can find out all about them and their sourcing and the many benefits by going to hiyahealth.com forward slash wellness mama. That's H I Y A health.com forward slash wellness mama. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness, my new personal care company that is based on the recipes I've been making at home in my own kitchen for over a decade. Many clean products simply don't work. And this is exactly why I spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate toxic chemicals, but that contain ingredients that work better than their conventional alternatives and that nourish your body from the outside in. I'm so excited to finally get to share these products with you. And I wanted to tell you all about our brand new dry shampoo, which is our newest product. It can be used various ways, including you can sprinkle in clean hair, to add volume and also extend the time between washes. You can sprinkle it in uh, hair that hasn't been washed in a day or two to absorb oil or sweat. And you can work it into color treated hair to maintain color by not having to wash as often. It contains oil absorbing kale and clay and volume boosting tapioca, which work together to refresh hair at the roots. Lavender oil and cactus flour help to balance the scalp and to keep the hair's natural pH. And we added hibiscus for healthy hair growth. You can check it out and try it at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. And my tip is to grab a bundle and save with the built-in discount that comes with a bundle. Or if you subscribe and save, you can save on any order. So again, check it out, wellness.com. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. If you haven't checked it out, please do. It's my new line of personal care products, including hair care and toothpaste and hand sanitizer that nourish your body from the outside in and don't contain any harmful ingredients or harsh detergents that strip away the things the body naturally needs. This episode is about 
a way to connect people directly with their local food economies to save money, to get more nutritious food, and a better way to support local farmers and providers of local food. I'm here with Matthew, who's the co-founder of LAEF, which is L-A-E-F. It's a local agriculture expansion foundation, which is a free payment and e-commerce platform that supports small sustainable farms to help them connect and transact with their local communities. And I met him recently and really wanted to share him with you guys because I think this tool is really invaluable and helpful for farmers, helps them connect directly with us as consumers and also is beneficial to us as well. Um, the goal is to help connect people locally with their small sustainable farms without the overhead or the middleman. So it benefits both the consumer and the farmer. And I think right now, especially, uh, it's a really good time to find and connect with local food providers with a lot of the uncertainty going on right now. And this also supports small businesses in our own areas, which as the economy still struggles is a really important thing that we can all do since we all have to eat. Anyway, Matthew and his wife, who's the co-founder, they want local personal food to, uh, to be a viable option for us as consumers and as a viable business for small farmers. I think we're seeing more and more people move toward this type of model. Definitely give it a listen. Recommend it to your local farmers and food producers. It can help them out so much. And we also stay tuned at the end. We touch on things like entrepreneurship and running a business in a time like now, also parenting and an unusual hobby Matthew has, which is parkour and how this can actually relate to moms. So very fact-packed episode. I know that you will enjoy as much as I did. So let's jump in. Matthew, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to uh, hear your voice again. Oh, likewise. And I met you earlier this year and knew that I wanted to have you on and to chat because the work you're doing is amazing and supports local farmers. And so I knew I wanted to have you on and share that with my audience, both members of my audience who are involved in local agriculture in some way, and also many who support local agriculture in, in some way and could bring this to local farms. So before we go deep on this, kind of for anyone listening, give us an overview of what LAIF is and why it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So the sort of brief history to, to now is uh, I've been involved in local food with my wife for about 10 years and this is sort of born out of a combination of my frustration with uh, kind of the local food system or lack thereof. Uh, and then also kind of my deep expertise in uh, e-commerce and custom software development. So LAIF is a payments and e-commerce platform for uh, small local farmers that's absolutely free to them. Uh, we provide them with a marketplace online where people can come and uh, find them near, near uh, where they live. And uh, we also provide them an app for their phone and a card reader that uses uh, all the modern technologies, Bluetooth, contactless pay, all of that. And, you know, it's, it's, unsurprising, right, that, that uh, technology is not something that farmers index for very highly, and quite frankly, they shouldn't. And so we're kind of taking, which some of the listeners may be familiar with, the uh, community-supported agriculture model, CSA, uh, which is where you sort of pay up front, and then your farmer grows the food, and then you get a share. We're sort of taking it one step further to where uh, on our platform, it's completely free to the farmer. Uh, they don't pay uh, credit card transacting fees or any of that. We had a small 4% plus 30 cent fee onto every order, uh, which to me, right, you know, uh, a few cents on uh, on an order of tomatoes doesn't matter much to me, but it adds up a lot to the farmer whose margins are quite thin. So 
we're really, really excited for the farms that we've we've partnered with, and we're excited to kind of uh, grow at this point, which is you know one of the things I'm most excited about in sort of getting the word out. Absolutely, and with all of the chaos that has been this year, I know that like food and supply chain are a couple of things that there's some uncertainty about right now. And I've always been a big proponent of local agriculture anyway, of having backyard gardens and supporting local farmers. And I feel like this is even more important, probably more important than it ever has been for us right now. So I love that you guys are making it uh, very practical and tangible and helping connect people with agriculture in their local communities. And I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but I know this is also a passion for you. Um, Let's talk a little bit about why local agriculture is so important in general, but then also especially right now. Yeah, no, totally. So uh, my wife and I have been married for about 10 years and early on in our marriage, we were we were unsure if we were going to have children, like if it, was, if it was going to be possible. And my wife is a dietitian, has a master's degree in functional medicine. And through kind of doing her own research and uh, experimentation on herself, the, the punchline to that story is we have two children now. And local food, which is uh, far more nutritious, depending on, on how it's grown, uh, was a huge part of that. And so by getting kind of plugged into that community, it's just something that feels so good to the soul, right? Uh, you have these people who have made a livelihood out of feeding and healing other people and to get to know their names and shake their hands and and sort of have that uh, connection back into the, the seasons and like the earth around you uh, as part of like a very tight, you know, honest community is is something that's been fantastic. And to get to, to meet those people and donate my time to work the booth at the farmer's market and all of that and kind of be confronted with the frustrations and the problems that they have, right? Like uh, farmers are not not really uh, social media influencers. They're not web developers, yet there's a, a weird pressure for them to to kind of do those things, to be able to to do marketing or, or to reach people online. And now, especially with COVID, you know, we were like, oh man, we've got to accelerate this. We got to, whatever we have to do to get this live for our farmers, we have to do it because, you know, with farmer's market, just being one venue that they interact with the community, being less of a thing or being more uncertain, uh, a lot of farm, small farmers are, are hurting. And then we saw the food scares earlier this year. You know, it was, it was interesting, like supermarket shelves are completely bare. And I just text my farmer and say, hey, could I pick up a quarter of a, a pig this weekend? Or, <laughs> you know, I, I'm running low on onions or something. Uh, do you still have some stored away? And not having that fear, right, because I'm so connected to to my food was something that I was like, man, more more people want this, right? And uh, in speaking to friends and neighbors and that sort of thing, they say, oh my gosh, I had no idea that people grow food here. And, you know, for me, I'm like, wow, that that's a problem, right? I think the market is is really untapped. A lot of people don't know how much local food is actually grown around them because it may surprise people, but farmer's market is not often the place where the best and most local food gets transacted. Yeah, that's such a great point. And for all of the difficulties of this year, I do hope that we can focus on some of those silver linings, like you mentioned, and that some of those things will stick around because I'm seeing that in our area, much more relationship between people and their local food sources. In general, people are eating out less and seem to be cooking together as families more, or at least 
very small groups, which I love. I love that it's led to more community like that. And you mentioned that you have two kids now. I think another aspect of this that's so important is our kids growing up understanding where their food comes from and understanding the connection with nature and with animals and with the food supply versus thinking that food just comes from a grocery store and is always available. And that's such a beautiful thing that they can see when you get plugged into these local food economies. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, our summer this year has been filled with Saturday mornings. We drive down uh, just south of town to uh, a little farm called Frost Livestock and we go see Sam. Sam's our farmer and the kids get out of the car and they run over and they they see the chickens and help collect eggs. And uh, it's just such a life giving experience to have your children so connected to the food that they eat and know actually what it looks like when it comes out of the ground and have like met the people that nourish their bodies and you know to to build friendships within that community i think is just it's something that just doesn't doesn't exist many other places right when you when you have that community that is so born out of like a basic human necessity uh and to know that our support provides a, a way of life for for somebody else who's do, who's doing uh, such great work like that is it's just fantastic. Absolutely. And right now, especially also with all the talk of the economy and small businesses being hit so much, this is also a great way to support local small businesses and to keep your local economy strong. Let's talk a little bit about how to find these local farmers and butchers and I mean, there's truly, I found endless options where we are from, there's Cape Mantoni near us who brings the meat and there's a local farm owned by a mom who has a CSA that grew because of COVID. Before that, I think she was at a farmer's market. And then when those shut down, she opened a CSA that I think has become really beneficial for her and certainly for all of us who now just have produce show up in our neighborhood. But for somebody who is new to the local food economy, what are some great ways to start finding it? Because you mentioned they're not all just at farmer's markets, and I totally agree. How can we start finding these local farmers and resources that may not have a website or a huge online presence? Yeah, no, it's such a great question. I mean, we've lived in several different cities kind of in the last 10 years, and and eventually you get really good at sussing it out, right? Like uh, we, we uh, participate in a herd share for goat milk, and the way that we got into that, <laughs> that herd share is you go to the farmer's market, you find somebody that looks like they know what they're doing, and you're like, hey, buddy, where do you get the goat milk? And they're like, oh, Here's Anne's phone number. She meets at the Safeway parking lot on Wednesday at two. And it's like uh, a local food drug deal because so much of this stuff, again, doesn't happen <laughs> at the at the farmer's market. But, you know, this is this is really one of the things that that Leif is looking to, to help solve. Um, I think the best strategy today is to go to either the farmer's market or a local co-op if you happen to have it and that sort of thing. And and uh, if you can get connected with uh, one farm in particular, all farmers know about six other people that are all of quality, essentially, that they also buy food from. That's the other thing I think is so interesting is it really is sort of like a network and uh, everybody is, you know, is is so interconnected and there's so little kind of uh, rivalry or competition between the farms is that, you know, some of the CSAs that we participated in this year, we literally only found through other other farmers that recommended them. And so kind of how we've grown LAFE, where we've just started it here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, has been through selecting a few farms that we knew of and then them 
telling other other farms essentially about it. And so, uh, you know, I think the biggest opportunity here is uh, if we can connect with people who are kind of uh, embedded into their local food systems where they live, and we can find those farmers that we can help, it kind of spreads like wildfire, right? Like uh, I would say in just a one block radius from our house now, there are 10 families that are now doing CSAs just from talking to us, right? So we have extra food, we give it uh, to them because I signed up for an unreasonable number of CSAs this year. And it's teachers, it's grandparents, it's all sorts of, uh, of people who get connected through other people. And so, you know, to the, the short answer to your question is, it's hard. It's actually hard to find these things. I think your best bet is, is to go through like a co-op or a farmer's market and start talking to, to people. And our hope with LAFE is to make it so that there is sort of like an online repository of, of small farms that are, you know, that are of quality. Because uh, this is the other thing too is some of the farmers markets have really low standards kind of, of of the food producers that are in there. Some of them aren't even really growing the food themselves. They're they're shipping it in and then selling it and no one kind of no one kind of asks. And if you've if you're not uh well acquainted with uh, the local area, you might not know the difference. Uh and so that's one of the things that we're really stringent on with Life is we really only are taking in farmers who who actually sell what they grow there locally. I think that that's a that's another big big piece to this is kind of how do you, how do you know how do you know the quality of the food that you're getting? Yeah, for sure. And that's another great aspect of this. I know a lot of people listening have families and I have found especially this year the budget side of this is pretty incredible as well because working with local like farmers and local you know, people who have different types of meat and seafood where we live, we've actually saved money and are getting much higher quality food. And that's another benefit, like you touched on already, but the nutritional quality of food that you get from your local environment is so much higher. And whether it's local beekeepers and local, like I mentioned, fishermen and local um, little just micro farms. And so I've built for our family, a seasonal meal plan that rotates based on the seasonality of food, especially produce. And then we build around those and it saves so much money over time as well. And like we mentioned with COVID, the beauty of this, you mentioned you joined a lot of CSAs. I did the same thing. Any CSA I heard of, I just was like, absolutely, I'll sign up for it and built the meal plans around those, but eating so much more seasonally and saving money that way. And I've seen that change happen in our whole community, in our neighborhood, um, not just even people who are focused on the health side. It's been a beautiful transition to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is it's such a it's such a fun and interesting thing to be so like reconnected with, with the earth and with the seasons. Uh, you know, the supermarket has, you know, somehow magically, definitely no no problems or costs there, uh, has all the food all the time. And so you're sort of living this gray homogenous uh, food life, uh, but when you're so connected to this food that tastes better uh, because it wasn't picked too early and wasn't shipped across the world uh, and is so much more nutritionally dense, uh, boy, it, it's, I mean, that is like the magic of it. When we have people over for dinner or, or something like that, it's always, oh my gosh, like, why is this food, <laughs> why is this food so good? And it's like, well, it was, it was grown right here. It tastes different. Um, it's better for you. And, and, you know, like you said, pl planning that food, your meal plan seasonally is just, it's kind of fun and it does save money because, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're dropping all of that additional cost. And that's the other thing too, 
that we're looking at with, with Leif is to us, it's very important that the farmer and the person actually connect. So there are other kind of platforms out there that, that we've personally tried. And uh, I've talked to farmers about their experience with where they sort of separate the farmer and the, and the person again, uh, where you, you kind of sign up for a share. The intermediary company sort of dictates to the farmer what they ought to grow based on the food preferences of the, of the people. And then they take you know, a seven to 12% cut on top of a 3% fee for all of the credit card processing. Well, that's, that's 10 to 15%. That's like all the margin in small farming. And it's just not, it's not sustainable. Uh, and I think it, it promotes bad habits as a consumer because it's more concerned around you know, what, what do I want, not what grows. And it's very hard on the farmer to not be able to sort of diversify their, their crop or grow the thing that they're really good at. And so um, we're really trying to stay away from that model. And again, I think the personal aspect of this, a lot of the farmers that we work with, you know, we say, why, like, why do you do this, right? Like, this is kind of a crazy business to do um, from just a strictly business sense. And it, it always comes back to the same thing. They do it for the people. They do it for those Saturday mornings when the people roll up with their kids and they get out and you shoot the breeze for 15 minutes and pick up your giant basket of vegetables. And, and that, that's why they do it. They love, they love feeding people. And I, I think that any uh, kind of platform that gets in the way of that and sort of dictates something in the middle is, is sort of doing a disservice. And, uh, and it's really not a sustainable model. I mean, even the farmer's market itself, a lot of the farmer's markets take a 5% or more of the gross sales. And again, uh, it's just, it's really hard for a farm to pick a bunch of food, not know if they're going to sell it. So spoilage is quite high. And then to give away 5% of the gross, that's why a lot of the, some of the best farms that, that, you know, we uh, do our CSAs, CSAs with, they, they all go through the same cycle. They show up at the farmer's market, they connect, get connected with their community, they start a CSA, and then they leave the farmer's market. So I would say, Four out of the five farms that we're doing a CSA with right now actually aren't at the farmer's market and are growing some of the best food with some of the best growing practices. It's absolutely incredible. And I know this is also part of a big long-term strategy for you related to local food and helping farmers even more. So walk through the vision of where this is headed and what long-term, what you hope to accomplish. Yeah. So so today, right, we've, we've got this, the seedling, no pun intended, of uh, of the idea where we have an e-commerce platform where we can onboard the farmer uh, free to them. And we have the payment app so that they can transact in person. And so what we're really doing is we're, we're kind of aggregating these, these farms that have uh, good practices, right? So we're doing the curation aspect of it. As that continues to grow, because uh, we can do this anywhere, we're doing it where, where we live right now, because uh, that's a great place to start. But uh, you know, to any anybody listening, wherever you are in the U.S., Leif can be there. And so as we continue to grow that network out, uh, I think of it as sort of a, a digital co-op where um, we have the potential moving into the future to essentially allow you to, to buy in just like you would to a CSA, uh, to purchase credit ahead of time and then spend it over time. And that'll uh, essentially allow us to give the farmers the, the funds to support their initial growing season. So what starts out as a transactional platform moves more into a co-op, which then on the grander scale across the, the nation then really turns into the ability for us to facilitate things like loans to people who want to start small farms. Uh, I think that that's, 
the, the big vision for me is anybody, you know, imagine you're, you're a couple in San Francisco who are heavily in the tech sector and just decide one day, ah, I, I give up. Like, this is not the way I want to live. And they want to move out to uh, a smaller town and, and start a, a farm on a couple of acres. That should be viable for them. And if we can take away the platform and marketing side of things and allow them to, to pop in and essentially uh, fulfill the supply for, for an existing demand, that suddenly becomes a viable way of life again. And even better if we can help support by providing owns and technology and processes that can help them get the best you know, fighting chance to, to jump their new farm off the ground. And so that, that's sort of like our, our long-term vision of it. So we really want to make small farming viable again for, for anybody, because I, I really truly believe that the demand is massively there we think of ourselves as matchmakers, not middlemen. Uh, and I think that that's, that's the recipe for success. So how can any of us who are listening, how can we help get this to our local farmers? Is there a good process for any of us who have relationships with these local people within our own food economies, how to best get this to them? Yeah, so our uh, LAIF is, our, is the name of this. It stands for Local Agriculture Expansion Foundation. And you can go to laef.io to go to our website or... Uh, if you have a, a farmer and you want to send them a link to find out more about kind of exactly what we're doing from their perspective, uh, we also have freethefarmers.com, uh, which will take you right to a landing page that kind of explains our model from the farmer's perspective. And whether you can connect us on their behalf or you, or you send it to a farmer, um, you can contact us right through our website or uh, my email, which is matthew at lafe.io. And we'd love to, to help and onboard them. Again, I think this is the, the part that makes me, you know, sleep well at night is knowing that we can onboard farms and that this is free for them to use. And, and I think that, that that's the way it should be. Um, this should be a no-brainer. We don't uh, discourage anyone from using any other platform or selling in any other venue. We just simply want to provide another option for free to farmers to help them succeed. I love that. And I love that it helps make local food so much easier because I think like, like we've talked about already so much in this episode, I think that's the direction we all need to move for both food security, for nutritionally, for, um, you know, budget reasons. There's just so many benefits to local food, which I think are all being brought to light and really highlighted right now. And I love that you guys are doing this in a farmer friendly way, because like you explained, I think there's a lot of options out there and a lot of them are not necessarily beneficial for the farmer or even for the the customer either. And so to have one that benefits everybody like this and that makes local food easier is incredible. And I'm so grateful that you guys are spearheading this and helping bring this to local farms. This episode is sponsored by Hiya Chewable Kids Vitamins. It's a new company I found that my kids are extremely excited about. Did you know that most typical children's vitamins are essentially just candy in disguise? Many have as much as two teaspoons of sugar, along with some food dyes, some other unhealthy chemicals, or gummy junk that kids should probably never eat and that dentists would probably agree with. Haya is the complete opposite. It fills the most common gaps in children's diets with full body nourishment and a yummy taste they love without any of that junk. While most children's vitamins might contain as much as five grams of sugar and can cause a variety of health issues, Haya has created a zero sugar, zero gummy, 
junk-free vitamin that tastes great and as my kids will attest is delicious. It's perfect even for picky eaters. Also importantly, it's manufactured in the U.S. with globally sourced ingredients, each selected and screened for optimal bioavailability and absorption. What's cool is they send this to your door on the pediatrician recommended schedule. And the first month, you get a reusable glass bottle that you can personalize with stickers. So every month thereafter, they send a no plastic refill pouch, which means it isn't just good for your kids. It's also good for the environment and it reduces waste. My kids love the little glass jar that the vitamins are in. And I love how it's low waste. You can find out all about them and their sourcing and the many benefits by going to hiyahealth.com forward slash wellness mama. That's H I Y A health.com forward slash wellness mama. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness, my new personal care company that is based on the recipes I've been making at home in my own kitchen for over a decade. Many clean products simply don't work. And this is exactly why I spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate toxic chemicals, but that contain ingredients that work better than their conventional alternatives and that nourish your body from the outside in. I'm so excited to finally get to share these products with you. And I wanted to tell you all about our brand new dry shampoo, which is our newest product. It can be used various ways, including you can sprinkle in clean hair, to add volume and also extend the time between washes. You can sprinkle it in uh, hair that hasn't been washed in a day or two to absorb oil or sweat. And you can work it into color treated hair to maintain color by not having to wash as often. It contains oil absorbing kaolin clay and volume boosting tapioca, which work together to refresh hair at the roots. Lavender oil and cactus flower help to balance the scalp and to keep the hair's natural pH. And we added hibiscus for healthy hair growth. You can check it out and try it at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. And my tip is to grab a bundle and save with the built-in discount that comes with a bundle. Or if you subscribe and save, you can save on any order. So again, check it out, wellness.com. To switch gears a little bit, there's a few questions I love to also ask. The first one is somewhat selfish because I'm always looking for <laughs> new books, but if there is a book or a number of books that have had a dramatic impact on your life, and if so, what they are and why. Yeah, so whenever whenever someone <laughs> asks me, like, what, what, if I should just read a book that you've read, uh, I always go back to Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. I don't know if you've, you've seen this, this book, but he talks about it's all about the sort of like system one and system two way of thinking your, your system one is kind of your fast reactionary kind of thinking where I say two plus two, you say four, your sort of deeper system two thinking is the one that kind of resides under your, your consciousness. And with the reason that that has been so impactful for me is it's really shaped the way that I think about myself and how I make decisions uh, because being so heavily involved in, in, e-commerce and custom software development and marketing and all of this sort of thing. It's, it's really about how do I convince somebody to, to, to believe something, right? And then to take action. And this idea of the kind of experiencing versus remembering self is something that's been like really impactful. Like in my life is, is when I prioritize how to spend my time or what to do on a vacation or, or how I want to sort of live my life. I realize there is the me now who experiences the world around me and there is the 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 portion of me that will remember 
um, something that happened, right? So uh, like an example, of this might be, you know, me right now doesn't want to spend the time to do something like to, to, to go and, and pick up my share at the farm, right? Maybe it's like a busy Saturday or something. Remembering self who will have that memory of going and the chickens being there and talking to Sam and all of that will, will very heavily benefit from that. And so uh, as I sort of like try to navigate the, the payoff of effort in life, that concept of, of sort of there being two, two versions of myself, one that does the hard thing now and the version of me that benefits from it later uh, has been really big for me. That's a great suggestion. I don't think anybody else recommended that one, but I echo it. I, I love that. Well. <laughs> um, and you brought up another topic that I would love to touch on briefly, which is entrepreneurship, especially right now in a relatively uncertain mm. and rapidly changing environment, especially online. And quite a few people, a relatively large percentage of listeners are entrepreneurs in some form. So I'd love to hear any advice that you have. I know that there's so many different types of entrepreneurs, but just um, like business and entrepreneurship related advice in a rapidly changing business culture like we have right now. Yeah, no, I think uh, a piece of advice that I typically give that I think is more true now than ever is people are very bad at quitting things. And I think that quitting things, especially in such a volatile environment right now, is actually the most advantageous thing that you can do. And when I say quit things, I mean, the moment you realize that the thing that you're working on is not going to work out, pivot. And, you know, I have been on the, you know, the upswing of a lot of the, the things that have happened as a result of, of COVID. It's opened up a lot of opportunity, me being at e-commerce and connected to local food and that sort of thing. But even, even life itself has, uh, has pivoted a lot. When we started coming into this year, we were dead sure that we were going to focus on the payment app portion first. Uh, we were, oh yes, we will totally uh, be able to transact credit cards <laughs> in person. The world will be a, definitely a stable place just like it was last year. Not so much, right? So uh, we pivoted super hard and prioritized the e-commerce platform first. And I think being able to be, have strongly held beliefs and opinions, but holding them loosely and and letting yourself adapt to the new information around you and being willing to, to let go of your plans or your ideas or your dreams and that sort of thing to be able to recontextualize them is the, is the most important thing, especially now. Definitely agree. Okay, so another topic, we're going to just jump around a little bit right now. Having gotten to meet you in person, you also have expertise in an area that very few people I feel like at least very few people I know have expertise in and that is parkour so just for my own curiosity I would love to know a little bit more about how you got into that for one and then I heard you explaining this to some other people along with kind of all the benefits that come along with it which I had never considered so for anybody who's not familiar tell us what parkour is and how you got into that yeah of course so I did not, I was not very athletic uh, growing up. And then somewhere around uh, high school, I got very interested in diving. And the reason I got interested in diving was the mental aspect of it, as well as the physical benefits, but really the mental aspect. And parkour at its core is it is mental, it is essentially mental training that manifests itself physically. So I got it, I was drawn to parkour for that. I got into it very heavily in college, met a couple of guys 
started a team. <laughs> this is a thing. And uh, we ended up getting a small sponsorship and doing a Red Bull competition and all of this fun stuff. And really when I talk about training parkour, it's if you can imagine a circle and that circle is uh, your, your mental ability to convince yourself to do something that seems scary, right? That maybe it's jumping a distance over, over a gap, right? So parkour is, is very uh, physical. When, you, when I say parkour, people think either that episode of The Office, which is quite funny, or uh, like Casino Royale, the uh, James Bond film where the guy's jumping through this construction site and it looks very flashy and dangerous. But really uh, what it's all about is your physical capabilities are a circle much larger than your mental capabilities. So the safe way to sort of train parkour is to push yourself to do something that physically you definitely can do, uh, but mentally is quite tough. And so uh, when I would train back in college, when I was first starting this, I would do, there was a, there was a, uh, a staircase at, at Purdue where I went to university and it went down and at the top, there was a concrete ledge on either side. And the jump was tiny, six feet maybe. I could, I could literally just fall across and grab the other side. So this jump is quite easy, uh, but as the staircase goes down, it of course the drop gets bigger. And so you would do the jump, take a half step to the left, do the jump again, take a half step to the left. And eventually somewhere along the way, you sort of hit, hit that breaking point where it becomes scary. Like it's not so much dangerous because it's uh, very easy. And again, there's a, a million different things that you could, uh, you could do to get across but it, it changes in your mind. And so the reason that I have stuck with parkour for the last 10 years is, is that mental game. It is, I think, very directly related to entrepreneurship insofar as that mental toughness and ability to control my emotions and to be able to push myself to do something uh, once I've decided to do it, that directly translates. And I have had the, the wonderful experience of, of, coaching hundreds of people, uh, especially while I was at university. That was my first business was teaching, teaching parkour, tons of people to, uh, to train and do acrobatics like backflips and all of that. But really what I'm doing is I'm coaching, I'm coaching them mentally, essentially. Um, and that's, that is why I love parkour so much. That's so cool. And I think about that for, like for our kids as well. I've interviewed so many people who have talked about like the importance of that for psychological development and for vestibular development and how kids doing things like running so fast their legs almost can't carry them or climbing trees or jumping off of things. We have been protecting kids more and more from those activities, but they actually need them for proper like brain development. And when we keep them from those activities, they get to adulthood without that full range of that mental aspect that they need. I know also for me, after having kids, I feel like my vestibular system changed quite a bit. And so now I have this irrational fear of being upside down if I'm not in control. So I can do a handstand on my own, but if someone like picked me up or if I had to like hang upside down, it kind of, it makes me completely freak out. So any baby steps just selfishly on how I can mentally work through that? Cause it's definitely not a physical ability thing at this point. It's a mental, my brain goes into a, you're going to die scenario, which is completely illogical. Yeah, no, I, I've, and I've met a lot of people who, you know, my, my favorite, I was at Purdue University, which is a, an engineering school. And so I, I would get these kids who have never done anything in their life physically and try to work on teaching them a backflip. And uh, much like kind of you've described the, the first couple of goes of it, they all but black out <laughs> the second they get upside down. And so my strategy for that sort of thing has always been to essentially find if you can find an opportunity or a place where you can put yourself in 
very low uh, physical danger, but very high kind of mental challenge, that is at its essence, like really the, how to train parkour essentially, right? And so uh, whether that is uh, in, your, in your case for, for being upside down, you know, hanging from something or, or however you might get yourself uh, inverted and giving somebody else the control of that, I think is, that's terrifying, right? But if you can do it in a controlled place where you know that you will be safe, that's like a great place to work from. So my kids, you, you brought up kids, a great example is uh, I've worked very hard to help them have that sort of aerial awareness when they're, when they're upside down. And that's, you know, before bed, when they need to get all the sillies out, you know, picking them up upside down and, and help like tossing them around and getting them comfy. And actually before COVID, we'd take them into the gymnastics gym. And, uh, you know, I'd say to my daughter, uh, Evelyn, who's five now, uh, what's something that you want to do today that feels hard? And it might be jumping down off of something. And so I'd, I'd stay there with her and I'd help her process those emotions. And I think having somebody else who, uh, who you trust, uh, who, can, who you can give over the control to, is, is really the, the key to, to helping like build back that, that confidence and uh, that awareness. That's a great suggestion. I hadn't thought of that, but that's true. That could very easily create scenarios where it's padded and safe, but I would just have to let go of the control, which probably shockingly, you know, might be the problem all along. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, and I, I, to your point, I think that's so important for kids, especially. And I love that question. What's something you want to do today that feels hard. Um, that's something we're cognizant of in our family culture as well as I think we are as adults and as entrepreneurs and as parents very much the sum of the internal questions we ask ourselves. And so I've talked about this on here before, you know, if you ask yourself the question constantly internally, why is this so hard for me? Or why can't I lose weight? Or whatever the case may be, your brain and your subconscious are going to just continue to answer those questions. Whereas if you give yourself in your subconscious, good questions to aim for. How is this so easy? Or why is this so much fun to learn? Whatever it is, your subconscious and your brain start working on that question. And I think our kids learn to shape their inner voice largely from the questions we ask them. And so we ask them questions like, what are you grateful for? And what hard things did you do today? Or what hard questions did you ask today? But I love that one of what's something you want to do today that feels hard. Um, do you have any other f things that you do with your kids, whether it be to pass on that great spatial awareness or kind of the fundamentals of entrepreneurship or to teach local food? I always love to ask the parenting questions as well because Wellness Mama was founded on the idea that, you know, our kids, we very much have the power to shape what the future looks like for them. And there's a lot of parents listening. So any other tips on those fronts? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's interesting. I think inviting your children early into uh, into those questions i think is is the key and i think the invitation is is really the part i want to emphasize right so we signed up for too many csas as you did uh yet we still made space to do a small garden at home and that garden was for the kids that was not that was not for us so uh, they directly participated in growing food that then they also went out and harvested and ate and uh, and the rules with the garden were that they had to take care of it and they had to water it and we helped invite them into that responsibility and then they had free reign to pick it whenever they wanted so we tried to show them the benefit of you know what that strawberry is not red yet i swear it'll taste better if you wait right and try to help them things like delaying gratification and all of that but i think you know inviting them into a process and lowering the stakes on things to where you know what you want to eat green strawberries like you can just find out what 
that's like, and 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 I can help you decide the why. Um, I think is is really really important. And so I think local food is another interesting venue for that. Last year, our kids went to the farm and helped planted uh, plant garlic, and they helped uh, shell corn uh, to make popcorn. And so I think I think inviting them into the the world around them and and helping them ask good questions and and face trade-offs like like work and reward and all of that is is really really important. I think local food actually can be a great a great venue for that because it is so connected to community uh, and it's not something that's happening off far away. That's a great point. I love it, and I will make sure that we link to uh, to Leif and to the other specific web uh, resources that you've mentioned, as well as to the books you recommend. Those will all be in the show notes for you guys listening at wellnessmama.fm. And I definitely would encourage you guys to find a local food economy and get involved with it for health reasons, budget reasons, and so your family can feel connected to your food source and definitely pass this resource on to your local farmers to help them out. Uh, I've been doing that in my area. I think this is something that's very, very needed. And I'm really grateful, Matthew, that you guys are building something like this and spreading the word. And I also know how busy it is to run a company. So thank you so much for your time and being here today and for sharing. Yeah, no, always, always a pleasure to, to chat and very excited about uh, where this is headed and the, the good we can all do together. And thank you, as always, for listening, for sharing your most valuable resource, your time with both of us today. We're so grateful that you did. I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time. And thanks, as always, for listening.